Welcome to TDAM Talks, a TD Asset Management Podcast. Join us for insights and analysis on current themes and capital markets from our thought leaders. From market insights to investment strategies, we'll help you navigate the complex landscape of investing. Hello and welcome to TDAM Talks. Today we are going to talk about one of my favorite subjects. We are talking fixed income, bonds. Bonds are back, rates of return. Returns are back in fixed income. We are going to spend the next uh, 50 to 20 minutes talking about the fixed income landscape, the rate landscape, um, and specifically how investors can be thinking about fixed income in their portfolios. On the podcast today, I've got the pleasure of being joined by Michael Augustine, who heads our fixed income franchise here at TD Asset Management, managing over $175 billion in assets, and Ben Chim, a senior portfolio manager who also leads our high-yield fixed income team and more broadly our credit strategies here, a really differentiating uh, part of our fixed income business here at TD Asset Management. We're going to have this great discussion today about rates for both informed investors as well as those who are new to the fixed income market. And as always, we're going to have a little bit of our rapid fire session at the end, so make sure you stick around for that. So, Michael, welcome. Great to be back, Ingrid. Okay, so just last month we had Dave Sykes, our chief investment officer, on the podcast, and we now have a really positive outlook for bonds. Um, and we've been using the tagline of the return of fixed income. I love this. You know, bonds are back. The return, the punishment's over. Let's maybe dig into a little bit of that and make some meaning of that for our listeners. Can you tell us what we mean by the return of fixed income? Yeah. So it's interesting. So sitting here in January, you know, it's a really good time to look back at last year. Lots of volatility and sort of see where the dust settled. Can you believe the Canadian bond market returned seven percent last year? Probably last year, goes or last without... month. <laughs> last month. Well, you know, that is a really good way, good, good question and, and insight, really, because there was a lot of volatility and a lot of it came in uh, the last month of the year. You know, if I think back to last year, you know, we started the year quite calm. We went through banking sector stresses, only to see global growth prove to be quite resilient. We saw healthy labor markets. We continued to see strong consumer demand. And central banks were able to achieve a meaningful reduction in inflation, coming from that 8.1% down to about three and change. But we kept hearing the word sticky last year, right? And inflation was challenging, pushed markets to essentially take rates higher all year. And then late in the year, we started to worry about deficits and U.S. debt. We worried about bond issuance and that further exacerbated things and brought rates even higher. It is interesting. Towards the end of the year, we did see this turn. We often hear people say that monetary policy works with long and variable lags. And I think things played out, but took longer than expected. And we did start to see that pivot in central banks late in the year and a tremendous tailwind of returns in uh, November, December. Yeah, and I think it's interesting when we talk about returns and fixed income, because fixed income has always been that stable, safe part of an investor's portfolio. And literally for 15 years since the financial crisis, you've not been rewarded for being safe, right? People have had this sort of below real return, return on fixed income. And then we felt the pain of late 2022 and into 2023, where the market almost normalized a little bit. So you had that capital pain. So I think you know bonds have been quite punishing. Either they've either been lazy or punishing for the last um, 15 years, and now we're really in a terrific place where bonds are generating a return, have a positive outlook, and are doing what they're supposed to in investors' portfolio, which is it's a, it's a, a tremendous uh, strike. Ben, welcome to the podcast. This is your first. Thank you for having me, Ingrid. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, maybe tell our listeners a little bit about your role here at TD Asset Management. I touched on it at the beginning, but maybe talk about your background, um, your role here, and how we apply credit in our portfolios. 
Sure. You know, I started my career in 2000. Feels like a long time ago now. I was in the heart of the uh, dot-com bubble. And, you know, uh, preceding that was, uh, of course, the Stever 11th and the Rollcom and everything else. So I've been through quite a few uh, of these cycles, and certainly this is not my first rodeo. But I was a credit analyst uh, starting off at a rating agency, moved over to the investment side, worked for one of Canada's largest mutual fund managers in 2005, where I began my career really in terms of looking at high-yield bonds specifically. And so I've had this high-yield bond focus for quite a while. Uh, I moved to TDAM in 2008, really right before the financial crisis. I'm sure you remember that, Ingrid. Uh, and uh, I was a high-yield analyst as well as portfolio manager with TDAM for a while. Had a few stints with fixed-income hedge fund, managing credit for that. I uh, managed investment grade and high-yield for a Canadian, uh, another small Canadian uh, independent manager before coming back to TDAM in 2018. Uh, and so I've been here for the last six years. And my role here is pretty straightforward. Well, I guess as straightforward as bonds get. I'm the lead corporate bond manager. And so that that means is uh, I, myself and my team, we're responsible for all the global investment grade as well as global high yield portfolios within the TD Asset Management uh, suite. And what that entails in terms of everyday activities is, you know, working with our team of portfolio managers, working with, you know, the deep and experienced credit research team we have to really try to find opportunities to add incremental yields, get, find good yield return opportunities in specific uh, bond uh, situations. And through that, build portfolios that then can pass on those incremental returns to our clients. So, for example, with our credit allocation in Core Plus, we're able to earn a yield of about 4.9%, which is about 60 basis points or 0.6 percentage points above uh, the Canadian bond market. And we're able to do that through what, you know, what we do in the, in, in the credit markets and the work we do there. How we try to add value is it, it involves a lot of due diligence on our part. Uh, you know, we meet with all the management teams that we invest with, really try to figure out which management teams are the most competent, which ones are conservative, which ones are, you know, a little bit more aggressive and we need to get compensated for that. So that's a big part of what we do. Thinking about the assets behind the companies that we invest with, you know, what are the quality of those assets? How deep, how broad is that asset base? Do they have some kind of competitive advantage? Is there, you know, a regional competitive advantage or a reputational or technology advantage that's really going to allow companies to generate free cash flow and profitability over long run. So that's really important. And then of course, the macroeconomic backdrop, as you guys alluded to, is really critical. Just, you know, what's going on with the global economy like, and what's going on with the individual economies that we're investing in. And what does that mean in terms of sector allocation? Our sectors are going to do well, which sectors are going to do quite poorly? How should we position ourselves that way? And then how should we think about the quality of our portfolios? Should we be reaching for yield, trying to generate a lot of return for our clients, or, or should we get a little bit more defensive and really try to batten down the hatches? So those are kind of all the things we're thinking about and how we manage. I think you really captured well, because at TD Asset Management, we are active fixed income managers. And for many managers, that is, you know, trying to predict the direction of interest rates, which is, you know, arguably incredibly hard. And what I'm hearing is, you know, here at TD Asset Management, we do a little bit differently, which is we use the power of our research and we build higher yielding portfolios every single day through a higher allocation to credit investment grade, and even in some cases, non-investment grade, to just build higher returning portfolios day in, day out. Have I got that right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, when you think about returns in the fixed income space, the yield is the most Well, they actually exist now, so that's yeah, good news, right? Great. They haven't for a long time, but yeah. It is, and it represents an awesome opportunity for investors and their portfolios. And I think you're absolutely right. The role of fixed income, and the role of corporate bonds specifically, is to provide the ballast, the predictability of returns that sometimes you don't get with the equity markets because of the volatility here and there. And 
you know, just an example of that and how we're thinking about things right now in the market. When you look at the last year and a half, we've been through this very high inflationary backdrop with, with regard to cost. And of course, interest rates have risen a lot as well. And that has had a fairly outsized negative impact on defensive companies versus cyclical companies. Just think about your typical defensive company. It's, you know, your electric utility, your telecom business, telecom company, your electricity bill, your cable bill hasn't been increasing six, 7% every year, right? It's been contracted. So it's not increasing by very much. It's, and it's regulated. And so they, the defensive companies have seen some margin pressure and significantly more than what we've seen from cyclical companies. And to us, that creates an opportunity because the bonds have underperformed, the equities underperformed. And if you can get that role of protection through companies that are actually very stable and have very predictable returns, that's what you want to find as, as the ideal fixed income investment. So we've been really focusing on our efforts on looking for opportunities in more defensive sectors these days. Yeah, really, it's fixed income in, which is more just giving our clients the exposure to the rate environment and that return, but really that way that you're seeking that out quite dynamically and looking for those opportunities, especially you know, in the Canadian fixed income market, that that credit continuum, there isn't a lot of diversification there. You sort of talk about utilities. What about the banking sector within there? Like, how are you feeling about that? Because I know banks make up a big portion of our credit sector. Yeah, I mean, the banks are interesting because they have underperformed a little bit with all the concerns around investment banking and the lack of revenues from that. Of course, net interest margins are being pressured. But a lot of that concern is being priced in. And the reality for the banks, particularly the big money center banks in the U.S. and as well as the banks in Canada, is they have very strong franchisees. They're going to generate good income and they're very stable over the long run. So having a little bit of extra yield now to invest in that and have a little bit of that volatility, uh, we do think it makes a lot of sense. There is some caution around you know, where the economic outlook goes, and that could create volatility in terms of bank returns on the bond space. But for the quality of the, what we're lending to, you're talking about most of the Canadian banks being single A on the senior investment side, and you're getting yields that are close to the triple Bs, it actually is a, a fairly attractive proposition right now. You just you sort of led me down the the credit curve there when you started bringing in triple Bs. Can you talk a little bit about how that sort of you know near non investment grade how that really drives some incremental return in the portfolios and your outlook for that part of the market? Yeah, absolutely. It's a uh, an interesting backdrop right now because as you know, growth is slowing as we've we've alluded to, and interest rates are rising, and that certainly has created quite a bit of deterioration, if you will, in credit quality. But overall, things have actually been quite sanguine. Right? And the market has been, in terms of fundamentals, been fairly strong overall. And I think what surprised most investors is how well most companies have held up. And specifically, because of the strength of the economy, consumers have continued to spend, uh, companies are continuing to employ workers, and that's given companies a lot of runway, a lot of lead time to be able to manage their balance sheets well, right? Uh, manage to this higher cost environment by uh, using their discretionary cash flow to right-size their cost base, right-size their, their balance sheets. And so that companies with the ability to do that typically are sort of in the higher quality range or larger and more diversified. And so when you talk about investment opportunities and where you want to be in terms of earning these higher yields, we kind of see the uh, crossover space, the double Bs, the triple Bs, as sort of that sweet spot of companies that are diversified, have a lot of tools they can use on liquidity if things do get more challenging in, in a tighter financial condition market, but still give you some good yields. And so we like a lot of the corporate hybrids for that. Uh, they're giving you 7 8% yields, a lot of double Bs that are very, very well positioned in, in defensive double Bs, as I talked about earlier, are giving you 7 8% yield as well in a market where, you know, there's a lot of interest rate volatility, there's a lot of volatility in the macro backdrop. 
getting that return, I think, is very appealing right now. And having more coupon in your portfolio actually lowers the volatility of returns over time, too, I think, right? Absolutely. I think, you know, we've talked about the credit. We've talked about TDM's unique sort of focus on having a consistently overweight focus on credit to build higher yields. But I'm going to take it back to you, Michael, which is, you know, the overall biggest driver of fixed income returns is the rate environment. So I know that, you know, that's what everyone's probably listening to. What are we thinking about, about the the rate environment? What does 2024 look like? What's your outlook? Yeah. So um, very timely. We had the Bank of Canada this morning. Maybe I'll circle back to that. But when we think about our forecast for rates, it's really anchored to our views on inflation. To start the year, we expect inflation in the first quarter to be around that 3% range. You know, so let's talk about come down from 8.1 to 3. Things continue to be sticky. Um, in the medium term, we'd expect inflation to come down to that 25 to 3%. And then eventually, as we go into 2025, we start to get towards the, the bank's target, sort of 2% within that operating range of 1% to 3%. So if we think about that, at year-end, if we think about also what the markets were pricing in, I think markets have sort of got ahead of themselves. So if the markets were pricing in about 150 basis points of cuts this year, we think that's a little aggressive. We would probably be somewhere about half of that, at least in terms of short-term administered rates. And then when the bank starts to cut, we could even see a situation where it's a cut, skip, cut, skip. So they could sort of prolong their cutting cycle. So this would put us at maybe three, four cuts by the end of the year. So if I think about that being the short end of the curve, we've also persisted in an inverted yield curve environment for a long time, and that's not normal. So as part of short-term administered rates declining, uh, we would expect to see that reversion to a little bit of steepness in the yield curve. At the longer end, 10-year rates, if we saw them come down about 25 to 50 basis points, that'd probably be within our expectations for the end of the year. So getting back to a little bit more normal shape on the yield curve, also some some uh, potential for capital appreciation with rates coming down a little bit as well. So, I mean, we sort of break that out. I think that's really important for our listeners to understand. You think about an equity market, stocks go up, you get your return in bonds. You have your running, you have your yield, which is sitting with just sub 5% on a portfolio right now, plus the opportunity for capital appreciation. So if I heard you say 25 to 50 basis points, could that be 2 to 3% potentially, you know, the high end or expectations for capital gain in the portfolios? Yeah, I mean, I think last year is a good example. We averaged between 425 and 4% on the FTSE TMX all year, but we returned 7%. So we had that, we had a piece out last year, you know, keep calm and carry on. And really it's the carry, right? It's that incremental income that's now back. And that carry is going to give you that four to four and a quarter percent, what the yield was on average for the FTSE last year. But where did the rest come from? Well, it came from capital appreciation and also some valuations on the credit compensation side. So we saw credit perform well, but we also saw some compression on yields. That was a tailwind for, for performance. So if we kind of put it all together, we're starting again the year about four and a quarter. Think about where we're going to end the year. We'll get some carry. But again, getting out of cash-like instruments and taking some bonds with the potential for capital appreciation is really important. And when we hear central banks like today reiterate that this pivot's coming and the next move would be down in rates, we think this is an opportune, opportune time to do that. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're never really opportunistic about bonds because they are an anchor to a portfolio. But I think in the face of the um, the interest rate environment, almost normalization again after 15 years of, you know, central banks um, keeping rates low, there was that price shock pain on the path back to where we are today, which is bonds generating a return. But there was that price shock that people felt 
And then I think you're sort of starting to allude to that. We've seen, you know, in many of our channels, a huge swing towards whether psychological or whether just rate-based, the the focus on GIC or GIC-like instruments, right? So maybe have taken safe, some safe haven there or felt better about the guaranteed return. But with the central bank moves coming, those won't be around forever. Absolutely. I mean, the other side of the coin is as central banks start to lower short-term administered rates, we're going to be continuously repricing down those credited rates on GICs. So I think it's quite akin or, or analogous to when mortgage rates were going up. And if you're in variable, when did you lock that in? You know, I'm not sure everybody had the discipline to lock in when we we're at the lowest rates. You know, this is very similar as we start to see rates cut, those short-term credited rates will come down as well. Yeah. And we'll like, uh, I can't imagine that soon enough <laughs> on this side of that. So that's a great outlook um, for the rate outlook. And then Ben, um, we've talked a little bit about this, but I just want to sort of get a sense. So we're we're bullish on absolute rates and absolute returns and on the credit side. Yeah, we're very constructive on credit as well. I would say a little bit less so than on rates, but what we see, think about credit. The benefit there is you kind of taking advantage of the great opportunity that government bonds are giving you and then getting a little bit extra in terms of return uh, as a result of the strong fundamentals and taking advantage of that. Uh, where we're a bit concerned about credit, of course, is the valuations, uh, credit spreads or the credit risk premium. 401 corporate bonds sitting at fairly low levels for the last 10 years. It's about 100 basis points in the U.S. investment grade, or 1%. It's about 370 basis points, or 3.7% in high yield. And those are very reflective of, I, I would say, near certainty that we're going to get a soft landing and very more mid-cycle type spreads than something more late cycle. And so while we still are of the opinion, our base case is that things are going to carry on fairly well, there is that probability that things get getting a little bit weaker, and that could result in some spread widening. And so there is potential volatility for that. But at the same time, as Mike and yourself alluded to, there's also the upside from rates and rate cuts that come from that. So when you talk about that 5.3% yield in, in investment grade, the 7.8% in high yield, we can see that as achievable given given those numbers and maybe even a little bit of upside to that. Yeah. And I think I just really, you know, I want to sort of double click on something there for our listeners. You talked about that differential between how an investor is rewarded for investment grade credit versus high yield credit, like almost four times the spread based on you know what you're saying there. And that really speaks to the power and the value of independent credit research and the ability within that world of high yield and arguably higher risk to be able to identify those, those names that you can add to the portfolio to create that consistently higher yield every day, which is, um, which is awesome. Okay. So Bonds are back. Yields actually now pay to hold bonds. We have a positive outlook on rates. We're constructive on credit. So that's all a good news story. I will never let my guests out of here without having to face off on some of our rapid fire questions. So I'm going to start with you, Michael, and, and Ben, jump in if you want. First rapid fire word is recession. Yeah. So I guess technical definition, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. Q3 in Canada, we had negative 1.1% GDP. Bank Canada today is expecting slow growth. The numbers aren't in for fourth quarter. Could possibly be positive or negative. So, you know, it's kind of, I think the market's almost 50-50 on whether we will have those two consecutive quarters. But what I would say is that bonds would outperform in a recessionary environment. So if we get a mild recession, you know, that'll probably accelerate the rate cuts. If we get a, a deeper recession, that'll accelerate them more. And even if we sort of have the sanguine beginning to the year, Again, we'll get that carry. So I think in all situations, when I think about recession, I think this is a good time to be in bonds for that diversification and uh, safety as well. Love that. And recession view on credit? 
Well, I mean, I, I say I've, I would agree with Mike in terms of, you know, where we're headed in that regard. What I would say is when you look at the earnings environment, we look at the corporate environment, there really isn't any sector that is particularly concerning uh, that's going to drive things weaker. So if we do start to see things getting more challenging than just a mild recession, it'll take something beyond what we're seeing today in terms of the current backdrop. And so, you know, that's something, when you talk about active management, that's something really critical to keep watching out for and that we're constantly managing for in our portfolios. We couldn't have predicted the things we've seen over the last couple of years. So my next question, um, or my next rapid fire for you is global tension. A lot going on around the world. What do you think there, Mike? So absolutely horrific humanitarian events. When we think about things we can't predict and volatility in the markets, again, from a portfolio construction perspective, I think the defense we have against things we can't uh, anticipate is diversification. And when I think about bonds, they play an important role in a diversified portfolio. So again, I sort of come back to this, uh, this fact that um, where we are right now in the cycle, the bonds are an important part of that portfolio. As a bond investor, I want to peg you as a pessimist, but I'm just not getting that from you today. <laughs> All roads are to good. A last one, and I know this one might be a sensitive one, but um, we are heading in the U.S. into an election year. What might that look like for uh, investors and what should we think about? Yeah, I mean, I could begin, Ben, certainly chime in if you got um, some thoughts. I know Alex Gorwitz on our team often reminds me about credit default spreads on sovereigns. And um, when we look at the U.S., uh, they've actually widened out. I mean, it's an indication of the market's concern with a sovereign issuer. And they're actually at 10-year wide, so they're sort of blinking a little bit about concern. So that's something we're mindful of. The way it's shaping up right now, it feels like this could be a little bit of a, a runoff or a rerun of the last election. And if we sort of think about what it means for the markets, we could sort of distill it down to maybe geopolitical and policy, right? So, you know, I think all the things that we just talked about on the geopolitical front, we would need to parse through what each administration and the reactions would be to certain events that are occurring right now. And on the policy side, I think we, we turn our attentions to things like uh, trade, uh, tariffs, reshoring, friendshoring. We also look at you know sectors where there's uh, more government spending right now. What would that mean? So I think we're going to be parsing through this throughout the year. This is something we're going to be talking about all year. But again, I think when it comes to volatility, this is when you sort of, again, turn to that diversification and uh, this will certainly probably be one of those volatile years as well. I, I just add something probably more micro in terms of sector specific, but as we think about how we manage uh, the different sectors and how they get how they perform during an election year, you know, one of the sectors that typically does fairly well is advertising, uh, because the political spending starts to lift that, and that is a sector that has had its challenges over the last few years. So that's one area where we're constantly looking for potential value. Uh, on the other hand, uh, healthcare is always very topical as election t topic. So that's one where, uh, an area where, you know, we're treading a little bit more closely. And of course, uh, geopolitical, as, as Mike mentioned, uh, you know, emerging market uh, exposures and whatnot are going to be uh, quite volatile. So we've kind of retrenched there a little bit going into this year as well. Gentlemen, thank you so much. That's a lot of ground covered. I hope for our listeners, you know, they're sort of hearing loud and clear that you know, the environment for fixed income is much better than it has been for quite some time. The outlook is, seems to be positive um, through any of the lenses that we look through. And certainly we'll be having a lot more conversations as we go through the year about the fixed income link. So, um, ben, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Raf. Thanks, Ingrid. And uh, thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in today. 
Remember, you can now subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, Amazon, or Apple to make sure that you're not missing out on our, our latest conversations. Thanks and have a great day. The information contained herein is for information purposes only. The information has been drawn from sources believed to be reliable. The information does not provide financial, legal, tax, or investment advice. Particular investment, tax, or trading strategies should be evaluated relative to each individual's objectives and risk tolerance. This material is not an offer to any person in any jurisdiction where unlawful or unauthorized. These materials have not been reviewed by and are not registered with any securities or other regulatory authority in jurisdictions where we operate. Any general discussion or opinions contained within these materials regarding securities or market conditions represents our view or the view of the source cited. Unless otherwise indicated, such view is of the date noted and is subject to change. Information about the portfolio holdings, asset allocation, or diversification is historical and is subject to change. This document may contain forward-looking statements or FLS. FLS reflect current expectations and projections about future events and or outcomes based on data currently available. This document may contain forward-looking statements or FLS. FLS reflect current expectations and projections about future events and or outcomes based on data currently available. Such expectations and projections may be incorrect in the future as events which were not anticipated or considered in their formulation may occur and lead to results that differ materially from those expressed or implied. FLS are not guarantees of future performance and reliance on FLS should be avoided. TD Global Investment Solutions represents TD Asset Management Inc. and Epic Investment Partners Inc. Both entities are affiliates and wholly owned subsidiaries of the Toronto Dominion Bank.